Good morning. This is John Halsman, and welcome to our Patrick Henry podcast for the day, where we try to make sense of why the Western elite is doing so badly. And boy, do we have case A today. The second round of the French parliamentary elections have come in, and it has been a political earthquake for once the hyperbole is not wasted. Uh, The second round of the vote, where Emmanuel Macron's centrist ensemble coalition was expected to gain a majority in the French parliament, that would be 289 seats. And it looks like they've come up way short, with only winning 224 seats, far short of an absolute majority. They retain a plurality as the largest single grouping in the parliament, but way short of an absolute majority and well down on his last uh, parliamentary triumph when he ran for president in 2017. Uh, Second is the Red-Green Alliance of Jean-Luc Mélenchon, the far leftist, who seems to have gained around 148 or 49 seats, let's say 149, so 224 to 149. And Mélenchon accomplished the seemingly impossible. He put together the various strands of the declining center-left French vote, left and center-left vote, and unified them, which is almost never done since the first French Revolution, unifying them around his, his candidacy. And the Red-Green Alliance won 149 seats, which is its best showing ever to be the main opposition to Macron, only slightly ahead at 224. The next surprise was the National Rally Party of far-left populist candidate Marine Le Pen. And in the past, because the French have a first-past-the-post system in the second round, despite doing well in presidential elections, the Le Pens have never managed to break through in a parliamentary way. Um, and despite winning significant percentages of the French vote, they've never managed to do very well in Parliament until now, where their numbers are up from negligible to 89. And then lastly, the fading Gaullists had a fairly good recovery from their very disappointing presidential candidate, Valérie Pécresse, who won less than 5% of the vote. They came in with 68 seats. So the centrists of Macron have 224 the leftists of Melanchon have 149, the rightists of Le Pen have 89, and the Gaullists, the old Gaullist party, uh, managed to right the ship and has 68. And what this means is that to govern, um, and already the Gaullists have said they won't go into coalition with Macron, as they said rather amusingly, they won't be the ambulance for Macronism to keep them going, but that on a case-by-case and issue-by-issue basis, they will support Macron when they happen to agree with him and will oppose him when they don't. So this la- this plurality, this lack of an absolute majority, will lead to a very clunky parliamentary system where time after time after time, Macron's party ensemble, the alliance, will have to go to the well and see if they can win over the Gaullists in order to govern from the center. And what this means in practice is that Macron, who was flirting with doing more on the left, that's out the window and he's going to have to govern from the right. The only things that are going to get done are from the center-right with the French Gaullists. That's his only option. He can't look to the far left or the far right to help him. And so he will now govern from the right, um, but on an issue-by-issue and case-by-case basis. The main piece of legislation that Macron is attempting to pass this time will be to raise the retirement age, which is wildly unpopular in a country that never really wants to grasp economic reality. If it can help it, 
The French would, would retire at 14 if they could, but they can't. Macron and others have moved, Sarkozy moved the number up to 62 for retirement, still not remotely good enough in a society that's now living to 80. Who's going to pay for those 15 years of retirement given profligate French spending, which is already over 50% of GDP spent through the public sector? So the only way this can work is to raise the retirement age. And to do this, he's going to have to fight the street, which until now, has been the opposition, because in French society, particularly in the Fifth Republic, you have a very strong executive branch. This was in response to the parliamentary-based Fourth Republic, where not much got done. When de Gaulle comes in with the Fifth Republic, it's the opposite, a very strong central government and a very weak parliament, so that the opposition to that government tends to come from the streets, as happened in 1968, which saw the beginning of the end of de Gaulle himself. And in the past, when these pension reforms have been attempted, France has gone on a general strike, part street theater, part opposition, which has often stopped reforms that are just in line with the new demography and the new economic reality. But reality is a word that French politics never much likes. So he's in for a heck of a fight, even if he passes legislation and the Gaullists are open to doing this, that raises the retirement age from 62 to 65. Look at this as an example where the French street will explode. And so there's going to be political risk there. There's also political risk in that France, which is one of the two dominant countries still in the EU in these times of geostrategic flux, is now going to have to go on an issue-by-issue, case-by-case basis to uh, try to get things done. And you have in Mélenchon on the left and Le Pen on the far right, you have two people who have been in the pockets of Putin in the past. Melanchon, who gets away with this, is in this odd way that the far left in Europe is never counted on as murderous or irresponsible in the way the far right are. But Melanchon has clearly said throughout his career he's against NATO, he's for Putin, and thinks that the Ukrainians brought this on themselves. Uh, that's not a good basis for Macron to run an aggressive Gaullist foreign policy. And in the past, Le Pen's party, the National Rally, has even taken out loans from Russian banks. Now, she's distanced herself, certainly in her presidential run, from ties to Putin, but they did come back to bite her. So you have the, the far left and the far right, both with really unhealthy ties to the Russians. And so that makes running a Gaulist foreign policy harder. Then the third thing is that, again, domestically, it's going to just be very hard to get anything done when you lack an absolute majority in parliament, at least in foreign affairs, the, the French Fifth Republic Constitution is pretty clear that the president you know, is, in effect, the elected monarch and has an awful lot of room to run. In domestic matters, this is less true. And so whoever the new prime minister will be of Macron's government, and he might get rid of the leftist and deeply unliked so far, Elizabeth Bourne, who's just been in on an interim basis. But whoever becomes the prime minister is going to have a terrible time getting anything domestically done. So you have a divided France, domestically a weakened France, uh, that's going to have to move forward. And then, of course, you have the fact that, yes, the French center held, but only barely. When you combine the, the seat totals of Macron's ensemble party with that of the Gaullist party, that would be 224 and 68, you get 292 seats, um, for centrist or center-right people, 292 seats in the center. But when you combine, and of course they would never vote together, when you, when you combine the far left, the red-green alliance of Melanchon, 
with the national rally, the far right grouping, you have, you know, a fairly similar number. Uh, you have 238 seats. So the center held, but barely. And that's now, and this is where the title of what I'm writing about is particularly odd. I'm talking about political risks coming to France just after a whole series of elections when they ought to have as little political risk as possible, when the goals are what policies will be enacted, what governments will be formed, who's up, who's down. This is normally what you talk about um, when there's just been a series of elections. First, the presidential, which Macron won comfortably, if by a lesser majority than 2017, again, beating Le Pen comfortably, if not overwhelmingly. So that should be a period of relative political stability. But because of this parliamentary elections uh, that have come just a month later, you see this isn't the case at all. And we're now going to be talking about political risk just after an election, which is very odd in the Western developing world. Indeed, this isn't normal at all to be discussing this and certainly not now uh, because of this. And why is this? Because the cost of living crisis which is hitting the entire West, that wages aren't keeping up with inflation, is something that's almost impossible for Macron to immediately stop. First of all, the people who run this are the European Central Bank, and the French have, in effect, outsourced their macroeconomic policy to the ECB in Frankfurt. So Macron's going to have to deal with the end result, which is higher inflation and cost of living problems, and inevitably in France, the strikes this will bring as people are outraged that their pay packets don't go as far as they used to at all, with inflation in Europe now at 8.1%, that the beast has loosed the cage in Europe, much as in America and the UK. But unlike the United States, which, yes, the Fed's independent, but is answerable to Congress, and the Bank of England also independent, but is answerable indirectly to Parliament and the Prime Minister, in France, it, the ECB is really not answerable to much of anybody, and if it is, it's to the European Union and not to Macron, and yet he's going to have to deal with whatever they do. And inflation, the beast, Frankenstein's monster, has already loosed the cage as the great work of Paul Volcker and Ronald Reagan after 40 years is undone by huge failures among the elite who are going to pay a terrible price for this. The problem is Macron can't do anything about the cost of living crisis, but he has to live with it, and he will be seen as at fault by many in France itself. So he can't do anything about the crisis that's hitting him. And even if he could somehow manage it on its own, France isn't a big enough economic power to somehow radically change what's going on with inflation. So he's, he's adrift on a sea he has no control over, and yet he's going to be responsible for that. And that has got to be in political risk terms, the worst of every world, to be responsible for something you can't do anything about. And then worst of all, none of this is going away, that the, the idea of transitory inflation, the Paul Krugman fantasy, again, the Yasser Arafat of macroeconomics, if Krugman told me to go up, I'd go down. If he told me to go left, I'd go right. In Republican governments, we should be held accountable for our call record. And if that's the case, Paul Krugman, far from winning a left-wing award as a left-winger from left-wing Europeans, the Nobel Prize for Economics, what a joke. This guy shouldn't have a job as an analyst. So wrong is he over something so central to what he does for a living. Rather, Larry Summers has been right in that inflation, this is macroeconomics. This is, this is pumping 14 to 15% in the U.S. of GDP in terms of fiscal spending into an economy that recovered very quickly from COVID. 
And this is, of course, too few goods chasing the too much money, and you end up with inflation. Um, and that's and that's what we have. It's macro. It's microeconomics. It's not going away. The only way to make it go away is to raise interest rates, which causes a recession. So at, you have three options for France. You have endemic inflation, endemic stagflation, high inflation and low growth, or recession. To hit a moving target, as Larry Summers has just shown in a, in a paper he wrote, is almost impossible, and the record of doing so is terrible. And so as a result of all this, France is going to feel poorer. It's going to have endemically high inflation. I think stagflation is the most likely outcome. And although it may not go into recession, very low rates of growth. Plus, we have Macron, deeply unloved, like picked only because he's seen as uncrazy in a way that, that Le Pen and Mélenchon are still seen by a large minority of the French voters as beyond the pale. We now have a situation where a weakened Macron without a majority in parliament, is going to face an ongoing, endemic, just beginning crisis of economics, both in terms of inflation and in growth. That is a recipe anywhere for massive political risk. And that's what Macron is sailing into, that this, the cost of living is going to get him. And let's remember that the last time this happened in the 1970s, as Paul Volcker said to me on that lovely day when we were snowed in in a Swiss ski chalet after doing a speech, and I got to pick his brain over very good food and wine about how he and Reagan managed things, as Volcker said to me, remember that inflation is a tax on the working poor, and 8 or 9% for people who are barely making ends meet is a devastating blow to everything that they're trying to do. And because of this, Macron is going to live in an environment where last time around, everyone got thrown out. Giscard d'Estaing was thrown out over stagflation. Carter was thrown out over stagflation. Callahan in England was thrown out over stagflation. And Schmidt was eventually thrown out over stagflation. So the leaders of the developed world, and remember, the Patrick Henry podcast is about critiquing the elites of the developed world, all were thrown out because people have no time at all for inflation. Unemployment is a tragedy. But it, it, it infects only the people who are unemployed. Inflation affects everyone. And high inflation affects everyone, particularly the lower middle class. And because of this, political risk is on in France. And it, it's hard to see how Macron gets out of this politically unscathed. So risk is very much on. And we're going to see this is where the rubber hits the road and endemic inflation and stagflation come to haunt the world's leaders. This is a Pyrrhic victory. Macron has just won re-election. His sails should be set. The last thing we should be talking about is political risk. And yet, political risk has come to France. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed this Patrick Henry podcast, looking at the French parliamentary results and the looming crisis ahead of Emmanuel Macron as the Western elite begins to pay the price for making the single biggest error they've made. While everyone's talking about Ukraine, it's endemic inflation that is more likely to get at them as time progresses. So Macron may very well have won a victory, but the victory seems to me to be a poison chalice beyond any other thing. I hope you enjoyed this. If you did, please do subscribe. So many of you have, and we're incredibly grateful that our community is booming. And for those of you who have subscribed, please do give. It's incredibly important as we move to a five-day forecast on Monday, we do a political thing, either the Patrick Henry podcast or a political vlog, where I look at what happened over the weekend. 
Um, on Tuesday, we look at the culture. Normally, we're about to start a series of albums that you need to listen to before you die, starting with the fantastic Arthur Lee and Love Forever Changes. On Wednesday, we have the flagship Around the World in 20 Minutes, our podcast of what's going on in the world and digging deeper. On Thursday, my friend J.L. Ryder writes on The Society, where we look at what's going on in the world and particularly his attacks on wokeism, which I've enjoyed immensely. And then Friday, my friend Publius looks at the economics, a free-ranging, creative, inquisitive, and endlessly fascinating. And he writes extraordinarily well and in an entertaining way. Uh, look at economics and how it affects the world we actually live in. For all this, and we've become a little local newspaper to the world, all we're asking is the price of one of my espressos that I'm about to down now, $70 a year or $7 a month. For $70 a year, we're going to give you unique news on Substack, which is the future. Nothing between us and the community, no crazy editors like at the Washington Post sniping at each other because of who said what. Instead, creative content given directly to you. But for that, we need $70 a year or $7 a month, and we promise to behave in a more grown-up matter than the Washington Post and, frankly, do far better analytical work. Have a great day. And on to tomorrow.